0: All right. Good morning, family. How you doing? All right. We ready to talk about singleness and marriage? All right. Come on, make it on in. Make it on in. Hey, uh, we wanted to share our marriage with you this morning, not because we are marriage experts, not because we are marriage geniuses, not because we made it to ten years and most of you haven't made it there yet. Okay. We wanted to share our marriage with you this morning because one, and this is a super profound point, if you're taking notes, this has got to be it. I thought it would be cool. That's number one. Two, uh, Anne is a preacher, uh, and because her main mission fields are nursing, uh, and parenting, she doesn't get to do it all that often. And so I love to give her opportunities, uh, to preach with me or preach by herself when we can. All right. We just got, we got a lot of preachers here at city life. It's a good thing, but I like to, I, I thought it'd be great to give her an opportunity, especially for our anniversary. Uh, and then, and then three, our marriage is a holy mess. Our marriage is a holy mess. This is kind of the main point. This is why we really wanted to share with you this morning. Our marriage is a holy mess. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Cause some of you don't know what I mean by that. Our marriage is a mess. First of all. Okay. Uh, We have these spats just like the rest of you have these spats, okay? We say things that we totally regret. We think things that we totally regret. We have been through tremendous ups and downs together in our 10 years. We have been through multiple big life transitions. Uh, We have been through multiple births. Birth. She's done all the work, and I've stood there, but we've been through multiple births. Uh, We've experienced a miscarriage together. Uh, We've been below the poverty line, and we've been above the poverty line together. Uh, We've been through really big parenting seasons. Now, we haven't made it to the the teenage years yet, although Annabelle yesterday looked like she was 30 somehow uh, after one haircut, and she's flipping that thing back. I'm like, please stop. You're killing me. She's tucking in her shirts, and I'm like, Why, what is going on here? All right, so we've been through multiple parenting seasons, difficult parenting seasons. Uh, again, we, we have made a ton of mistakes. I have made a ton of mistakes and has made none. She's perfect. <laughs> the point is, we are a mess. We're constantly a mess. But, and I say this with every ounce of authenticity that lives inside of me, This is not for the stage. It's not for a microphone. It's not because she's sitting next to me. I love this woman more, and I love my God more, twice, twice the amount than I did when we first got married. And our trajectory as a couple, if we keep on going that route, is we're going to be so in love by the time we're 65, 75, walking on a beach together, our knees hurting, our hips probably brand new. If we continue on this, we are going to love each other so much deeper and so much wider because we are a holy mess. We're not just a mess. mess, We're a holy mess. Meaning our marriage stands before God. It sits in front of God. It's his. He's the centrality of it. There's a ton of the gospel interwoven into all the way we, we into every way that we act inside of our marriage and outside of our marriage. This is a gospel marriage. And this is why we love each other so deeply and why we're so proud of this moment and why we wanted to share with you really the six biblical reflections of a holy mess. That, that's kind of the title of today's message if you're a title lover. The six biblical reflections of a holy mess this morning. And, and we're going to start with the single folks. And I asked Anne, like, could we do this first to just, could we do the single ladies dance? She was like, no, we can't, we can't do that. I thought it was a good idea. Uh, But this is how marriage works, you know, some ideas are good and some are not. But we're we're talking to the single ladies first and the single men first in the room, really because singleness is a crazy important season of your life. And if you're one of those folks who who are like, I'm good, I'm going to remain single, I want you to know, you got to stop feeling like a Zone 5 economy member of the church. You know what I mean, That's how I fly, Zone 5, somehow... I don't because of the price I pay for planes, I'm always in the back. I think they should board first, but we always board last is another story for another time. But I want you to stop feeling like if you're single and plan to be single or if you're single and don't plan to be single, I want you to stop feeling like you're zone five economy member of the church. Here's why. The Bible doesn't think you are that. God doesn't think you are that. And the church, if it gives off that vibe is in the wrong. Right. Because this is the way that Paul feels about singleness. By the way, I'm going to take the plane off, and Ann's going to land it later. We're going to alternate in the middle. I'm going to tag her in. It's going to be like WWE wrestling. It's going to be amazing, okay? So here's what Paul says about singleness. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, Paul is really saying this, one, because the church in Corinth is a perverted mess, but he's also saying this because as a single man, he's killing it. Paul is a beast. He is mobile. He's serving Jesus all over the world. He's given Jesus 24 hours a day. He's planting churches like it's his job. And it is his job besides tent making. He's got two jobs and he's killing both jobs. This is Paul. He is killing it as a single man. So he says it's good. Because his time, attention, focus, patience. It all goes on one thing, Jesus and his mission. Time, focus, attention, love, patience. These things are not unlimited resources. Last week, Ann took the kids to uh, Muskegon, Michigan, where we were from, where we planted our first church, and I just had Selah, and I just gotta tell you, I was father of the year, and it wasn't even close. I'm putting on lip gloss, right? I, I'm, I'm dressing up as a princess, I read every book twelve times to her. I built blocks so she could kick it over. It's the worst game ever, but I'm just doing it because all of my, because I don't have three kids and a wife at that moment. All I have is just this one kid, and all of my time, attention, focus, and patience is going to one child, and that's because these are not unlimited resources. And if you're single, you can devote everything that you are to Jesus and His mission, and focusing on your identity. So don't feel like you're a second-class citizen or a zone five economy. By the way, again, that's how I fly. So I'm not trying to make fun. If you, if that's how you fly. That's how I fly too. We're in the same boat. That, that kind of transitions into my first point. My first point is this. And this is a, we're going to do at least one point on singleness, the both of us. Um, fix your eyes and identity on Jesus. Fix your eyes and identity on Jesus. If you're single, man, you gotta, You got to let this sink in. Fix your eyes and identity on Jesus. Last week I said that Ann and I were not trying to get that ring by spring. We were not in college, and we were not outside of college going, I just need to get married. I have to get married. I have to build my profile. I have to build my six pack. I have to build all these things so that someone were, that was neither of us. I was trying to plant a church. She was trying to go to Australia to serve Jesus. We were fixated on Jesus and we met each other somewhere, somewhere in the marathon line. And this is my, what: fix your eyes on Jesus. And the rest will happen. Uh, Neither Shamoy or Cody are here today, uh, but they are two veteran members of City Life Church. And and I I don't know, we were out to lunch three weeks ago. Uh, We went to brunch as the men went to brunch. uh, The gals had a Bible study. uh, And we went out, and and I I learned how they met, and it was crazy. Have have y'all ever played Pokemon Go? Raise your hand if you you got Pokemon Go on your phone. Y'all is lying. Who's got Pokemon Go? Not one of you. Yeah. Okay, no? Nick, Raise your hand, bro. Okay. I deleted it. Yeah, yeah. Deleted it right before church today because I knew you were going to talk about it. I got Pokemon Go. It's for the kids. But it's okay if you got it on your phone. This thing was a craze. It was a craze. I mean, people were, there was this, this viral video. People are jumping out of their cars in Central Park because there was some sort of Charizard or Charmander or something in the middle of the park and they're sprinting after this thing. You would have thought Chick fil A was free in the park or something. There's a mob sprinting toward the middle of the park because of this Pokemon Go thing. And here's what Pokemon Go is it uses your navigation, uses your navigation to pinpoint where you're at and it says, okay, there's a Pokemon there on the sidewalk next to you. And then you flip your phone and you catch it. Okay, that's what goes on. You can go to the park, and there's one in the park, and you go to the fire hydrant, there's one sitting by the fire hydrant, and you catch it, and the slogan is, gotta catch them all. All right, that's the slogan. So you're just busy, fixated on your phone, looking for the Charmander, or whatever it's called. I know, there's lots of names. There's like a billion of them, right? So Shamoy one day, and Cody one day, are, are on their phones, and they're looking. They're looking for this rare Pokemon. They're almost getting hit by cars, and they're just crossing the road. People are beeping on it. They don't care. But they're fixated on this moment. And they basically bump into each other. And they go, are you looking for the Charizard? Yeah, are you looking for the Charizard? Do you work at J.P. Morgan? Oh, yeah. do you work at J.P. Morgan? Do you want to be best friends? That's how it happened. That's how they met. And then they came to City Life together. Holding it. They were just ready to be in relationship. Right? This is my point. They were fixated On one thing, and it led them to the ultimate thing. It led them to relationship. Here's what I'm asking of you today. Will you be fixated on one thing? And will you let the result be relationship? The obsession shouldn't be relationship. The fixation shouldn't be relationship. Or else you're going to buy into the wrong relationship. Or else you're just going to be upset. Oh, I'm single. I got to be on this dating site, that dating site, this dating site. I got to go to this place. I don't even want to be here. This is kind of a skeezy bar, but I'll be here anyway because I need to find somebody. I'm going to jump churches because that one has cuter single ladies at that church and I'm going to jump around churches. I'm not going to build relationships with anybody at the church because I'm focused on being single. I'm going to put the hottest picture I got on my dating profile and I'm going to stand in the mirror like this. And this is what we do. We obsess over the wrong thing. What I'm telling you is to obsess over Jesus first, what does it look like to be in relationship with Jesus, to be content with Jesus, to study the scriptures early and often, to have a prayer life, to be content with being in relationship with Jesus? What does it look like to fixate on that first and then let the rest play out. This is what the Bible says about running the race of life. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, uh, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Other, other versions say, fixated on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a 40 legged marathon. And he's like, best way to run, shed off sin this way, shed off sin that way, best way to run, fixate on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus, he's the horizon, he's the finish line, a relationship with him is the finish line, and then the rest is gonna happen. Like at some point, you're gonna be like this, and this other person's gonna be like this, and you're gonna bump into each other and go, oh, you're looking for Jesus? Oh, me too. I sorta got time for you, because I'm looking for Jesus. Uh, but, but, but but me, let's go on a date later. Okay, th- th- this is how this happens. This is how it happened for me and her. We're chasing after Jesus. We're fixated on him, and somewhere in the marathon line, we're like, okay, hey, you. Hey there. You love Jesus too. It's funny. I, I got our gift this week. This is off. Sorry, babe. Uh, I got our gift this week. I, I saved our Facebook posts. That's how, that's how we fell in love, was through sending novels to each other, right, on Facebook. I saved it, and I put it in a little book, super cute. Uh, uh, so I put it in a book, right, and we're reading it this week, and both of us were just fighting pridefully not to be into each other, more her than me. But we're just fighting, right, to like, no, I don't, I don't, don't want to go on a coffee date. It's all right. It's not even a date. It's just coffee. Like, this, this was because we're so fixated on Jesus. This is what I'm talking about. Will you fixate yourself on Jesus? If you flip the obsession, and and you're obsessed with people before Jesus or a person before Jesus, you're handing the keys of your identity and the most important parts of you to another person. That person can't handle it. They're not big enough to handle your identity. They're not big enough to speak identity in life Before you, only Jesus is. Before I hand the baton to Anne, this is my longest point, I promise, let me give you a quick temperature gauge. Here's the first question uh, to to find out if if you're content with just Jesus. Are you only happy if you're dating somebody? If you're not dating somebody, are you like, woe is me, my life is ending? If that's the case, you're probably not content with Jesus. And you have to figure out why. Here's one last question. Do you change yourself? for whoever you're dating. Does who you're dating determine who you are as a person? Like if they're a cowboy, do you buy a lasso? You're like, why am I buying a lasso and wearing chaps? What happened to me? Because you change yourself for whoever that is. That's because you don't know who you are in Jesus first. And the culture doesn't tell you this, but who you are as a single person will be who you are as a married person. I know Tom Cruise, the false prophet uh, in the the great movie, Jerry Maguire, puts it this way. You complete me. No fool. Jesus completes you. I love Tom Cruise. I'm just kidding. But Jesus completes you. And if you can stand there and be fixated on that, then the rest will be a result. You look up from your phone and you go, okay, I kind of found somebody, but I wasn't really looking for somebody. I was looking for Jesus. Now, Anne has a beautiful single. Poem. Really good
1: truth there, babe. Yeah. So you fix your eyes on Jesus, and you find your identity, you find your value, you find contentment. Um, but more important, well, equally important, I should say, in the process of being fixated on Jesus, um, he teaches you how to care for people, and he, te- he opens your eyes to the needs of people around you. Um, primarily it's your friends, it's your neighbors, it's your coworkers, people that you're doing life with, um, because before God trusts you with a spouse, one question you could ask yourself is, am I, do I even know how to be a good friend? Because if you know how to be a good friend, then... You'll know how to be a good spouse so reflection number three is going to be are you a first corinthians 13 kind of friend and we'll read the passage and i'll tell you what that means so um, we're going to read the passage together uh first corinthians 13 4 to 7 love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it doesn't dishonor others it's not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no records of wrong Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Now, I know this is the ultimate, like, wedding passage, and this describes the ultimate marriage, but I think that these are characteristics of a good friendship. Um, So do you have these relationships in your life, if you're single, that are this healthy and this deep? Do you have this kind of friend in your life? If you're on the receiving end of this. I know that I've had these kinds of friends in my life, and it's good, right? It's good to have a friend like this. But what's even better is if you learn to be this kind of friend for someone else, and even if it's just one person. So are you? ask yourself these questions. Are you the kind of friend that is not self-seeking? Are you thoughtful? Are you giving? Are you not easily offended or anger, angry? Um, do you keep records of wrong? Do you gossip about your friends? Are you a friend that protects Are you a friend that perseveres through conflict and hard times? Um, Because in the beginning of that, um, in 1 Corinthians, before Paul says this, he says, if you have all the giftings in the world, if you have great faith that moves mountains, if you sell everything you have right now to the poor and give away everything you own, but you don't have love and this kind of love, then you have gained nothing. Um, So what he's saying is that... um, These kinds of deep relationships in your life, you should have them or else you're missing out. Um, And really, you can't uh, be selfish your whole life and not love people like this your whole life and then say, I do one day, and then all of a sudden expect that you're going to love in this way. So um, start loving this way now. And when and if God brings you a spouse, you'll, you'll be a love expert. So we wanted to make sure that, I wish that we had more time to talk about singleness because I feel like I'm more of an expert on singleness because I was single for a lot longer than we've been married. But um, Justin's going to kick off our uh, marriage reflection. Yeah,
0: That's a good point. It, it goes right, right with the idea that who you are as a single person is who you're going to be as a married person. So if you're not a good friend, you're not going to be someone who's good at marriage. If you're not a servant, the day you say, I do, the, the, the pastor doesn't sprinkle magic fairy servant dust on you. So you. You have to figure out how to be a good friend first. Um, let's, let's move on to the married folks. Uh, num- this is actually number three. The, the, we have the radical recipe. We have the radical recipe for a radical marriage. That's what we have. Um, if you compare... What non-believing Christians have versus what believing Christians have in terms of a recipe for marriage, we should have the radical love recipe. We just shouldn't. My father always used to say, "It's not a competition." That's what he said to my because I always made everything a competition. This is a competition, and we're not winning. We don't have the statistics to prove that we have radical marriages. Not only should our, our, our marriages be radical, but people should be looking at us and go, man, there's something so deep and loving about that marriage that I need to look at that and figure out what do they have, and then I want to model my marriage after that and figure out what they have, and that should eventually lead to a, a conversation about Jesus. That's what, that's what this should all lead to, right? But it's not. Our marriages are not pungent. They're not potent enough. I mean, just, just think about Think about the ingredients of, of a non-Jesus marriage. Let's just think about an American marriage. What's the recipe to get into marriage? Do you love the person? Uh, do you think they're hot? Do they make you happy? Uh, if they stop making you happy, get them out the door. Right? That's, that's pretty much the ingredients. And, and let me just tell you something. Uh, I'm not saying that every cultural marriage has that level of surface. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I am saying that that's pretty much the recipe. Does our marriage... Does our love look like we see in the romantic comedies? Are we good? Whereas a Jesus following marriage, and I'm just going to tell you this just as a prerequisite. I realize that some of you are in kind of one sided marriages. Okay, so if this is you today and you're in kind of a one sided marriage and uh, you love Jesus, and, and you're loving the person like really well, and they're not loving you back. I, I realize that that's going to put some tension in this, but if, if two people are in love with Jesus and loving each other with the Jesus ingredients that we're going to talk about today, we should have a radical love, and it should be so ridiculous that it's a testimony to the people around you. Let me just list off some of these uh, passages and some of these qualities. Uh, this is my favorite uh, marriage passage, uh, 521, Ephesians 521. Submitting to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. So if we're talking about ingredients, uh, this marriage should have submission and sacrifice in it. Meaning, uh, I submit to you. Uh, If we're talking about metaphor, I open the door for you. You get the last piece of cake. That's just a metaphor, right? It gets much deeper than that. You're saying, you have it. You get it. I'm getting out of the way. It's really intentional. It's an intentional absence of comfort. Because submission is never comfortable. Let's move into more of that submission. Wives, and this is a hard one to deal with, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Now, don't check out here. I know that's a little bit hard to deal with, and don't take the scripture out of context. Remember, one, we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And number two, this verse does not sit on an island, It's a part of a radical collision where the wife is submitting everything And the husband is sacrificing everything. And that collision builds a radical marriage. And we'll talk a little bit more, at least on the idea later. Here's more of that sacrifice. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So radical that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Check in check in here. He who loves his wife loves himself. Good night. You want a radical marriage? How about radical submission and radical sacrifice? How about leaving yourself at the door every single day? The Bible says, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Leave yourself behind in radical submission and radical sacrifice and love the other person. How about radical forgiveness? Peter, Matthew 18 goes up to Jesus. He's like, is seven times good enough for forgiveness? Should I forgive someone seven times? Jesus is like, multiply it and then forget counting. Multiply it and then forget counting. Just keep on forgiving. How about Purity. How about 1 Corinthians 6 and the 100 other purity texts in the scriptures that are saying you need to make your heart and eyes a heart and eyes of purity? You think that's a good context for marriage, a good ingredient for marriage? How about food of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You think those are good ingredients for a radical marriage? How about perseverance? Do you think that's a good ingredient for a radical marriage? How about hard work? How about hard work? How about Proverbs? Just read Proverbs sometime and it's talk about the slugger, sluggard and it's talk about hard work. You think that's a good ingredient for a good marriage, for a radical marriage? These are the qualities. How about guarding your heart? For, the, for it's the wellspring of life and two people coming in with guarded hearts. These are the ingredients of a radical marriage. And I would say if you don't have a radical marriage, it's because you're not applying gospel specific ingredients to your marriage. It's because you're not reading the scriptures. You're not trusting Jesus and you're not making application of this first to your friendships in singleness and then to your marriage. That's why. And I would resist in this moment, resist in this moment of going, well, if Martha would just, well, well, if Jimmy would just, that's what we do on the way home. Every time after marriage sermons that I do in the church, I always hear about a fight afterward. Because on the way home, the couple gets in the car, and they're outwardly focused. The gospel does not work there, here. The gospel works here, there. And usually you're here so long, you ain't got time for there. And typically when you think you're holier than everybody else, that's the moment you're holier than no one else. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Focus here. Here, there. What's going on here? What am I not applying in my own life as a single person, as a friend and then as a married person? It's my fault that we're not being intimate lately. It's my fault that there's no forgiveness. It's my fault that the money isn't going so, so well and we're not arranging it correctly. Here, there. And let me tell you something about here, there. It's so inspirational. It's so inspirational. If you, as a spouse, would be here, there, your spouse would be like, "Dang, I love them. Whatever they got going on inside their heart, I want that. I want to be that." Anne's hard work, oh man, it pushes me. One because I'm competitive, and I want to work harder than her, and she wants to work harder than me. One because, of, but two because it's inspirational. I love how she doesn't give a free moment to herself unless, unless I give it to her, basically. She's either working or loving Jesus, serving Jesus, or loving her. And that makes me, I'm either working or serving Jesus or loving fam- family. This is, this is how we inspire each other. It's inspirational if you would focus here, there. Here, there. And again, if, if this is not you, don't look outward, look inward. And maybe these gospel-specific applications will start to change your marriage. Uh, and has another reason why you may not be experiencing this radical marriage that you're looking for.
1: So, yes, I think it's pretty safe to assume that our world does not define uh, marriage in that um, radical way. Um, And I think that if we don't go back to the word and remind ourselves of what God's intentions for marriage in the first place was, that the danger is that at some point we're going to conform because... These words that Justin talked about, like submission, ugh, sacrifice, commitment, forgiveness, surrender, like uh, all those words the world does not want to hear, and nobody wants to do those things, right? But they, they, I think that if we take them out of the context of God's original design for them in marriage— they become tainted. And that's how abuse happens. And eventually we will go down that same road of wanting to redefine marriage to fit our very own preferences. And that's what the world has done. So um, reflection number four, God's design for marriage is best. So I'm not tech, tech savvy at all. So it's not uncommon for Justin to show me a feature on my iPhone and I'm like, hashtag fire emoji. I did not know my phone could do that because I have not read the manual and um, I, I'm wondering why I'm like missing out on all these great features that my phone has. Um, and I think if whoever designed the iPhone saw that how I was using my iPhone, they'd probably be really offended and wonder why I don't just have a flip phone and a camera. Because And the worst part is I have like 3,000 pictures of uh, my kids and I can't remember the last time I backed up my pictures into the cloud, wherever it is, Um, and I get angry when my phone gets glitchy and my phone doesn't work, and again, I have not read the manual, and I'm not using the phone the way the engineer intended, and I think that it's kind of the same for marriage, obviously more serious, but... Um, God has this beautiful design for marriage, but in order for us to experience marriage in this way that God intended us to, sometimes we have to go back to the beginning, back to Genesis where it all happened. So I'm going to try to really quickly do that this morning. Um, We're going to be in Genesis 2, 18 to 24, and I'll just sum it up because I see that we're um, we're getting low on time. So the Lord Saw Adam and in verse 18 and he says it is not good sufficient that man should be alone I will make him a helper um, so basically from Genesis 1 and 2 God is creating like crazy right he is creating the sun the moon stars everything and he was saying that's good that's good that's good day one two three four that's good um, and here's paradise, perfection, beauty, glory everywhere. Everything in creation was fulfilling the purpose that God created it for. So the sun was giving heat and light, and um, plants and animals were utilizing water, trees were giving oxygen. Everything was good except God takes a glimpse at Adam in this passage, and he's like, hmm, not good. There's something missing. Um, and it was a helper. So even in a perfect, sinless world, one thing is not good. One thing is missing. So a woman. So God intentionally creates um, Eve for Adam and vice versa. And so the plan was they get to enjoy each other's companionship. They get to take walks with God in the garden and be intimate and um, be bare before each other physically in every other way. And it was supposed to be good, right? That was the plan. Um, and so, this was God's original intentions for, ma- for marriage. Now, like Justin said, not everyone in this world needs to be married. Everyone needs Jesus, but not everyone needs a spouse. But the Bible does also say that um, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Because this union between Adam and Eve was, um, it fulfilled the call that Adam couldn't do alone. Eve couldn't do alone. So they couldn't be fruitful and multiply and take care of the earth alone. And Eve, she was designed uh, purposefully to be the only and best help helper for Adam. So I think as a culture, we're kind of rejecting this call for women to be our husband's helpers. And just a little caveat, men, um, if I can talk to you for a second, you can't expect your wife to be a strong helper or know how to help you if you're a leader that has no direction and if you're a leader who is not being led by Jesus. So if you're off doing your own thing, if you're not considering her or your family, if you're making decisions that um, are not considering her, if you're dismissive or demeaning, she won't really know how to help you. Um, So let me encourage you just for a second that uh, a, a woman that is taken care of by her husband and given attention, I mean, she flourishes. And I can say this um, with with full confidence because I've experienced it. So if this week, uh, one thing that you can do is that you can put a little extra effort into caring for her, into loving her, doing something extra for her, and I promise you that she will come alive. Um, and I know that, it, it, like Justin said, it's a hard calling to sacrifice yourself for your family, and to give your own body for your family. And Justin has done this. He has had to give up things that he loves because it wasn't good for our family. We've had to, you know, in, in our marriage, say, hey, I'm going to take a step back because I feel like God is telling you to do this, so go for it, and I'm going to cheer you on, and vice versa. And there's a, a lot of things in our marriage that, that we've um, we've had to do that for. So, yeah, men, so this, this week, um, just reflect on how is your leadership are you being led by jesus are you sacrificing and what do you need to sacrifice maybe maybe there's something you have to sacrifice for the sake of your marriage and family so um back to us women i really hope that this um helper role in our marriage would be something that we're passionate about i feel like it's something i'm passionate about because when i see the word of god when i read genesis i see that god gives at Eve to Adam because he needed her complementary gifts, and he needed her talents, he needed her commitment, and he needed her, um, he needed her because these things were essential to humanity flourishing. There would be no society without her, no society without them both. So um, I I just, I want us to see, because I know that culture looks at um, marriage and being a wife and being a mom very differently, but God has given us a very influential and powerful role. Did you know that in the in the Hebrew, the word for helper, um, it's the same word. It's Ezer, and it translates as strong helper. So the same word used Ezer is used to in the Bible to describe who God was for the Israelites. So when they say God, you are my helper, they're saying God, you're the one who parted the seas for me. You're the one who took us out of slavery. You're the one who took us out of oppression. You are our helper. And it's the same word that King David uses um, for God, his helper. When he was running away from Saul and he was in turmoil, he calls God over and over again, his Ezer, his helper. And um, this is the same word that that the in Hebrew that is used to describe that who the Holy Spirit is for us. So it's not this weak word that I feel like the society has made it out to be. The Bible, the The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, he's our advocate. He fights for us. He encourages us. He reminds us of truth when the enemy tries to creep in lies into our thoughts and mind. He counsels us. He prays for us. He intercedes us. He points us to Jesus. And he convicts us when we're doing something wrong. But the motivation is always to bring us, to reconcile us back to God. So what I'm not saying is that we're our husbands, Holy Spirit. But what I am saying is that we were designed to mirror these attributes for our husband. So women, God gives us a very powerful role as wives. And don't let our culture make you believe anything different. In fact, the Bible says there's two kinds of wives, and both are very powerful. One is a wise woman who builds her home, and another is a foolish woman with, her, with who her hand, own hand, she tears it down. And one of the things that God has been teaching me is I can't... A, a lot of people can write just in angry emails and, you know, talk to them about how they don't like this, that, and that. And he will pray about it and then forget about it. But if I speak one negative word out of, you know, out of the context of prayer and asking God for wisdom... It it, it's, it crushes him for a long time, and that sticks with him, and he has to f- fight with it, and he has to ask God to, um, you know, clean his mind and uh, his thoughts about it. And so we have this power over our homes to um, to build it up and instead of tearing it down. And I'm just I'm very leery of a culture or any movement that seeks to bring division between men and women um, and confusion within marriage, because ultimately. This means division of family. And if you, you know, you don't have to love Jesus to know that if you want to bring the health and wealth of a society down, you tear down families. That's how you do it. And so uh, God designed it. Long before psychologists researched this and made it, you know, like did papers on it, God designed it to be this way. And so if we want to destroy society, then go against what God designed to be held in high honor and high regard, marriage. So we want marriages here at City Life to thrive and flourish. So together, let's be committed to this. So men, you had some questions to answer. And women, let's think about this. How can we help our husbands? How can we encourage our husbands? Because we're the only one that has that role to encourage them, to bring their dreams and their hopes and their goals out of them. Um, What can we do to build our homes? So kind of questions
0: to ask yourselves. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. I love it when you talk about sports and when you bring up words in the original Greek. Those are the hottest things ever. Um, yeah, you got me thinking about a lot. Hey, last last reflection from my point of view and then Ann's going to have one more and land the plane. Again, um, if, if you have a, a marriage question, we're going to do a, a little Q&A afterward. Uh, and Jeremy, if you don't if you don't get any, then just make up some. All right, I trust you. Uh, but why don't you this point? This is the only slide for for uh, this point for me. Um, so so why don't you put up uh, your uh, or, or whoever's phone number that is? Why don't you put that up there so that people? If maybe this maybe this conversation has drawn up some questions for you, and you can text this number that question again. He's going to kind of weed out the ones that. Uh, we don't really have time for, uh, but maybe that, that brought you, uh, you know, especially that one, that was a really good point. Maybe that brought you some questions. Here's my last point. It doesn't have to go up there because uh, he's put up the number, but my last point is covenant is always better than contract. Covenant is always better than contract. A couple definitions here. I'll read out a really boring definition, which is not gonna be on the screen, but it's super boring, so it doesn't really matter. But here is what a contract is. A written or spoken agreement especially one concerning employment, sales, or tenancy that's enforced by law. So let me just break that down. Basically, I give you a good or you give me a good. We make a contract about it. If I don't like it, I cancel the contract. If I don't like it, I punish you by withholding or I take away the contract. That's a contractual marriage. Okay? A covenant marriage is a promise, a God-sized promise between you, your spouse, and Jesus. Totally different. Contract or covenant? You can look at it this this way. If that was a bit complicated, look at it this way. Is your marriage goods or gospel? Goods or gospel? Is your marriage based on goods? I give you a good. You give me a good. If I like your goods, I reward you for it. If I don't like your goods, I punish you for it. Goods or gospel? Covenant. I promise that no matter what. Uh, Obviously, it starts ringing up in your head. It's sickness and in health. In, for better or for worse poor or rich it doesn't matter there's covenant and then there's contract and, and this point is really quick for me but I, I want to give you just ways to test out is your relationship contractual or is it covenant here's how you know it's contractual if, if you're constant if the constant voice in your head or the constant voice in your marriage is this if you do A I'll do B big word there if not a long word Right, But it's the the biggest word of that sentence. If you do A, then I'll do B. Meaning, if you do the dishes, then I'll do the laundry. And you're like, hey, it's okay. We're balancing out marriage. Okay, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. The biggest problem in that sentence is the word if. If you park the car tomorrow, I'll park the car today. I'll go out at 6 a.m. before the little thing comes. Beep, beep. I'll do it today. If you do it tomorrow. Again, hey, we gotta share, right? It's a marriage. We share things. The problem is the word if. It goes deeper. If you change A, B, and C about yourself, then we can be intimate. If you fix A, B, and C, then we can communicate. We can talk about the issue. See how the word if becomes a problem? That's contractual. That's saying, if you give me the right goods, I'll give you the right goods. If you do not, I'm going to withhold. And the trajectory of that marriage is right to the pits. Right to the pits. One more, actually there's two more. Here's how you know if you're living in contract or you're living in covenant. Can you remember the last time that you repented? Like really repented. Repenting meaning I stink, I stunk, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have said this, I'm so sorry, authentic repentance comes out of your heart to your spouse, if you cannot remember that, then you're living in a contractual marriage. Because a covenant marriage is always focused on here. A covenant marriage, a covenant spouse lays in bed at night and lets God sift through their hearts and go, why are we not intimate right now? How, How come we're not communicating lately? What can I do to change that? A contractual marriage says it's the other person's fault. So if they fix it, then we'll get around to it. If not, we'll live as roommates for the next 50 years. Contract versus covenant. You see the big difference there? When was the last time you repented? Can you remember that? Last one, can you name something that you're withholding right now? Oh, we do this, right? I'm gonna withhold this from you until you get your stuff in order. It can go from everything from... from, uh, intimacy, to communication, to food, right? Whenever we're fighting, we don't eat. We're just sitting there hungry. I'm not going to make you food. Well, I'm not going to make you food. I'm going to withhold food from you. So it makes us even more cranky, and it ruins our fight even worse, right? That's just, that's how we just start withholding things from each other. Again, it's contractual, because what you're saying is, unless you give me what I want, I'm going to withhold this thing from you. It can be surface level, or it can be super deep. I'm going to withhold my careful tongue and I'm just going to release my spiky tongue, meaning I'm going to say whatever comes to my mind and I'm not going to have a filter and I'm going to ruin your day and possibly your year by wounding you with my words because you didn't give me what I want and so I'm going to withhold my careful tongue from you. It gets deep. Are you living in contract or are you living in covenant? Can you imagine if Jesus brought out a contract relationship instead of a covenant relationship. If he said, you know what? When you get your stuff in order, then I'll die for you. But until then, you're all going to hell. Can you imagine? If he said, let me just wait until you get these seven sins in order, and then I'll come, I'll die for you, and I'll resurrect for you, and you can have eternal life. Would we ever have eternal life? We live with a covenant God and a covenant gospel, and that should, be, that should be bleeding into our covenant relationships, first in singleness and then in marriage. Anne has one more point to lay on the plane, and then we'll go into some practical Q&A. Yeah, I, I just want
1: to just remind you that our marriage is far from perfect, and I know that no, no one's is perfect, not even the people on Instagram that go on five vacations to the Bahamas a year. Sometimes I'm like, they—they're surely their marriage has got to be perfect. But no one's is. And so um, I, I was just thinking that if we don't have perfect marriages, it's okay. It's all right. Because God is always ready and willing to heal those broken parts of our marriages. And I, I look forward to the next 10 years um, of God healing the broken parts of mine and Justin's marriages, uh, marriage. And so um, reflection number six is, No marriage is perfect, but healing is available for us to pursue. I love that distinction between covenant and contract because after the fall happened, God's regard for marriage doesn't diminish. His standards, his design doesn't change. In fact, he holds marriage so sacred that he compares it to the covenant between Christ and the church. And there is no covenant more profound than that. So church, I, I believe that God wants to revive and heal, heal our marriages. But we have a plan in this. And so for some of us, pursuing healing in marriage sometimes means you need to be truthful to yourself or to your spouse, that you're messing up and that you need help. And that is where healing will start from. for some of you guys, today, for some of us today. It's a small, but it's a big step because God promises healing for those that repent. So in this, um, the verse that should come up there, if it doesn't, it's okay, I'll, I'll read it. Um, in Second Chronicles, it says, If my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their ways, then I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So not only does God promise if we confess our sins that he's going to forgive us, but he will heal our land. He will heal our home. He will heal our marriage, and it can start right here, right now. But you have to take that first step. And so, for some of us, healing will start with choosing to forgive your spouse and let go and not hold on to grudges that have grown like large weeds in your heart. And this is where I've always struggled because Justin is really good at forgiving and letting go, and me, on the other hand, I am not. And, and uh, the root of this lie is that I believe that I have the right to be angry because he did something wrong. So I have the right to be angry. I have the right to be bitter. And then I have to remind myself of Scripture like Ephesians 4.31 where God says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. So I notice that God puts bitterness and anger in that same cal- category as malice and slander. So I would never consider myself a malicious person or a slanderer, but I can be very bitter. And God is just like, hey, this is just as destructive to your marriage. It's impossible to, for healing to happen in a heart full of bitterness and anger. So that is something that I really had to work on. So if that is you and you need to wrestle with some some um, forgiveness things that's your step one for today that's your small but big step and i I know some of your stories and I know that you have your spouses have done something that maybe it's their sins are too big for you to bear they're worse than anything that we ever mentioned on that we mentioned here on stage times a thousand but i er, i encourage you to go back to reflection number 1 so Fix your eyes on Jesus and to do everything that we told the single people to do. Go back to that and trust his process and find your identity in him and do all those things. listen to the sermon maybe over again so you can hear point one again. <laughs> but um, one thing I wanted you to, to, to know that Justin mentioned it earlier, you're not alone. You are surrounded by a church family who we will pray for you. We will mourn with you through the hard part of the healing process. We have already done that. You've mourned with us. We'll root for you. We'll celebrate with you when healing starts to happen, when you start to see restoration. And it's okay. It's more than okay to ask for outside help. We have done that in our marriage. In fact, it's biblical. If you can't reconcile on your own, it's biblical to... Seek um wise counsel together and don't wait until it's too late. Um so yeah, so you we threw out a lot of questions for you to ask yourselves, and maybe the car ride home will look like you saying, Hey, I'm really messing up here. Hey, I'm I'm I need forgiveness here. Or maybe you're on the other um, end of the seat and and your spouse needs to hear that you forgive them. Maybe they're in a rut and they can't get out of it and they can't forgive themselves because you have not forgiven them. And so you hold that key to give them, to, to free them from that. So is there anything else?
0: Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's take some time to get a little bit more cash. uh, And we'll, we'll answer some questions um, that, but that's, that's a good ending right there for, for at least the sermon portion It said, how, how are you going to respond to bring your marriage to Jesus or bring your singleness to Jesus? Where are you? Where are you not fixated on him? Um, confession just gets that ball rolling and some things are not confessed. They're not smart to confess to your spouse right away, uh, but to confess to a brother or sister in Christ first work some things out, and then maybe God will teach you to confess to your spouse that, maybe they even that next day, but it's, it's smart to run it. Everybody's got to have a coach, okay? No matter how far you get along in your relationship with Jesus, you've got to have a coach. You've got to have a mentor. You've got to have someone to disciple you, okay, because that will help you get to that next place in your relationship with Jesus in singleness and in marriage. Uh, for now, um, we, we don't have any worship at the end because we're kind of seeing this as our, as our worship time, uh as as these Q and A's kinda come up and we get a little bit uh we get a little bit practical. Jeremy, do we get any or are you just sending us what you got, buddy? So we have got some but the laptop is frozen. The laptop is frozen. All right. So you have a very good like mainly projecting voice, so you just you just say it out, brother. That's good. That's good. And, and we thought that one might come today. See, kind of, you want to go first? You want to go first? You, you follow? Well, I
1: was going to say, then you need to bring church to your home. Mm. So you need, you need to, all the applications of the Bible, everything, of the gospel, everything that we talked about today, bring it to your home. Because we, we have known a lot of um, people in that category. Um, and we have, we really have seen God um, change a lot of couples, wouldn't you say? Yeah.
0: For sure. So what she's saying is don't, don't skip church, obviously. What she's saying is uh, the, the practices of Jesus, studying the scripture, being Jesus in your home, bring that home to the point where your life and your practices and who you are is intoxicating. And they go, okay, I want to be a part of that. Uh, join community. Talk, talk well about community. Don't go home and talk about church like, oh, it was boring today or missional community was dumb. Well, they're not going to want to go. But if you go home and you say, this is who Jesus is, this is what's going on in my life, um, we have seen absolutely numerous couples uh, end up, and, and they're, not, they're not drug husbands. They weren't dragged to church, okay? Uh, they weren't, they weren't drugged to church. I don't know what the right thing is. Uh, but, but they ended up coming on their own volition, which is important.
1: Yeah, we would we would see these um, husbands or wives who would never come to church. All of a sudden, and their wives who were coming to church or husbands who were coming to church, they weren't there, but they were bringing the kids. And so I don't know if that was just because there was free childcare and kidsmen, but they would they would come, and it was such a blessing to see that. And I would say if you're dating someone who's in that category, just remember that. All the things that we talked about, submitting to each other, respecting each other. If you're dating someone you don't respect or you can't submit to or you, you know, don't think well of, like, then.
0: That's what that is. Yeah. Remember, who you are as a single person is who you are going to be as, as a married person. Um, that's what the Bible calls unequally yoked. Um, and so you're going to get yourself in. A, if Jesus says you're everything and Jesus says they're nothing, you're going to get yourself in a really hard Life, not even just situation, a really hard life. Um, and so a, as a single person, that, that you, you have to know that going in, this, in a singleness and into a relationship. You got anything else on that? I'm glad you started because that, that was a good premise. Go ahead.
1: How do you spend time reading the Bible and praying together? And
0: how do you make time for this? Yeah, that's good. You, you want to go first? I like the way Can you, you okay, I'll go first this time. Um, so lots of couples put a lot of pressure on themselves. And that pressure can be suffocating at times um, because you're like, we should, you think that you should be some sort of theologian in the scriptures together uh, and you start arguing over different theologies and, and the end times and, and then all of a sudden your, your devotional time turns into a fight over if Jesus is premillennial or amillennial and that just is not what Jesus meant for that time. So um, we, we started, I'll just tell you how we started and maybe that'll help. We started with a book called Jesus Calling. Uh, And it was a simple devotional book with one scripture and one thought. Um, And we kind of worked our way to going through Romans. (laughs) Don't start out with going through Romans because it's just like, oh, what just hit us? And how do we even talk about this? And it's gonna be silent and weird. And that silent and weirdness is gonna, you know, kind of make you shy away from it. Start with a simple devotional book. Uh, Talk about one thing and then pray for each other. And the prayer doesn't have to be some long benediction, okay? Just pray for each other. Just say what's on your heart and mind. Stamp it in the name of Jesus. uh, And then go again next week or go again the next day. And it's okay if you do devotions five days a week or one day a week or or twice a month. Uh, Try to work your way to something where you're spending time together in the word. and, And, you know, again, make it a slow progress Not a, let's go through Revelations and Romans together right off the bat.
1: And I think there's something very intimate about asking your spouse, how can I pray for you this week? For sure. Because usually that opens up a lot of doors because, you know, if you haven't caught up that week and there was something that they were going through that you, you know, for whatever reason didn't um, get together and talk about. I mean, it just opens all kinds of doors to say, I think it's a caring, serving thing to ask. um, And then just that the prayer in itself is, I think is
0: very intimate, right? And then, it's, especially for the men here, don't fix what she says when she says, "I, I need prayer for this." Um, just, uh, I learned it from a, a TV show. Just say that sucks, and then pray for her. That's after uh, about <laughs> nine years of mistakes. But on the tenth year, I'm starting. To, I'm starting to get a little bit better. Okay. But. <laughs> you answer this one because <laughs> at one point you were thinking that I didn't even like you.
1: Uh, yeah, so um, we definitely had very strong boundaries um, and I mean, I don't think that there's a you know, do it A, B, C, D kind of way. Um, we It did help that we were different, uh, in different states, <laughs> but we we did a lot of you know, things out in public. Um, I don't even, I mean, that was 10 years ago. I don't even remember what happened, what we did two weeks ago. Yeah, I I
0: had a rough history, um, and um, she came in without a rough history, really, in that sense, but, um, so for me, I was like, I'm not touching you until we're engaged. (laughs) Maybe a small touch on the back, and and I kind of overcompensated, which is, like, we didn't even kiss until really far in, and she's like, is he ever going to kiss me? Um, so it was kind of that, that way because I, I needed, because of my history, to have really strong boundaries. I knew that the snowball effect wouldn't be so good. Uh, and so I think, I, think it, I think knowing yourselves, like once you open that door of intimacy, it, it doesn't typically go slow, right? It doesn't, if you spend a bunch of nights in front of the TV, at some point the TV it's just going to be watching you. Instead of you watching it, it's going to be watching you. I uh, got that from a rap song. And so um, it's good theology. But that, that's kind of what happens if, if, if you don't know yourself and you don't know, hey, I have strong boundaries as a human. Um, so I can, I can take some risks here and we can, we can do this, but I'm going to be able to keep it until marriage. Uh, if you know you're not going to be able just take it super slow. Um, the reason we, we got married within a year is because our hearts and our minds connected First, we didn't even really connect physically uh, really until about six months in when we were already engaged. Our hearts and our minds connect to the point where we we knew we were in love with each other and we didn't. The other stuff didn't complicate it. And then we got to learn the comfortable, st- you know, the, the, the intimate stuff as we went along, as we got married uh, and we were able to save our, ourselves for marriage because of that. Um, so, yeah, I have a rough history, but Jesus died for me and resurrected for me. And so I came into that relationship pure in Jesus. She came in pure in Jesus, and we were able to save our purity until marriage. Uh, partially because of distance, but a lot because of our, our, our kind of rigid boundaries. It's okay to have rigid boundaries, right? Joseph, uh, in the Bible, some, some gal t- rips off his cloak, and what does he do? He doesn't walk away. He doesn't think twice. He sprints, right? He gets out of that house. Because he's like, this woman is trying to take my purity. I'm out in the name of Jesus, right? And, and for some of you, you're going to need to do that. And those boundaries are okay. Go slow. Because you have your whole life to, to figure out sex together. You have your whole life to get it right. So go slow until you know you can it. And
1: it definitely it. helped our community. I mean, we got to know each other really, really well because we talked a lot. <laughs> right. So we got to really know each other, get to really know each other's hearts, and um, learn to communicate really well together, I think.
0: Yes, we did. It's good. L- last one. Uh, yeah.
1: uh, when did you decide, how did you decide it was a good time to have
0: kids? How did you decide it was a good time to have kids? You want me to go first? Okay. Yeah. Um, it, 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 she's laughing because there wasn't a whole lot of decision making on our problem. <laughs> um, you know, in the Midwest, it was much different than it is here. Um, you just had five kids. Uh, that was kind of the process. Uh, and so that's why we have three <laughs> moving into the city. Um, really, having kids is like marriage. You're never ready for it. So you're never ready for, really ready for marriage. Uh, everything changes. And you're never really ready for kids because everything changes. You can't prep for it. You can't do stretches for it. Uh, you, can't, you can't get yourself your diet ready for it. It's just you have to know, do we have, do we love each other really well? Uh, Do we have a strong foundation in Jesus? And do we want kids right now? Uh, Because everything changes. And you also have to know, it's not like the movies. Um, The kids, you know, and it's also like, it's also not like my kids here. My kids are great here. They're cute. They have, they're all dressed up for the day. Uh, My kids run around and they socialize and then they get home. And at times they can be a lot different. Okay. So don't Don't go, we're ready for kids based on how your kids are, how other kids are at church or in the movies, because they're not that way. You get no sleep. You have no time for yourselves. You have to fight for time for yourselves. You have to fight for a date together. You can't even have an adult conversation without your kid chiming in for more yogurt, okay? So you just have to know everything is going to change. Are we ready for that? Do we want that? Do we have a strong foundation in Jesus? And have we traveled a little bit? Have we dated a little bit? Have we got some things out of the way? Have we gone to like a a three-movie thing in a row? Because it's not going to happen again for 18 years. So I know it's funny, but that that was just full honesty. Like, there was nothing funny about it.
1: But I think it's just like any big decision you make. You make it together. You make it prayerfully. Um wouldn't you say?
0: Yes. We're both like a little shocked because our 10-year anniversary date was canceled and we spent the day discovering how the fall is gonna look schedule-wise. So yeah, you know, that's, that's just where, where it's at. But uh, you know, God's grace, if, he has, if his grace is on your marriage and you're understanding who Jesus is, he'll have grace on your parenting. It'll be a process. Hey guys, thanks for partaking with us today. Um, and did this with working last night and no sleep. So can we give it up for my wife? Maybe we'll answer a few of those questions. Maybe we have a bunch more questions. Maybe we'll answer a few of those on social media. Otherwise, it's about time to get your kids to get another bagel to hang out a little bit we brunch as a community a bunch of people go to brunch afterward but there's no worship so we love you guys thank you for coming enjoy the week okay